0: Welcome back to Muppets in Space, a Farscape Rewatch podcast on the Incomparable. Tonight we are covering the final two episodes of Season 1, Episode 21, Bone to be Wild, and the finale, Episode 22, Family Ties, Part 1. I'm your host, Eric Scott, and joining me as always, my fellow co-host, some guy I just met while I was floating around in space, Jason Johnson.
1: Yeah, you know it's pretty cold out here, so there's not that much time before I become unconscious. We should probably roll on and, and not hold it up.
0: Yeah, I only got like a quarter iron for you, so let's get this get this going.
1: So this is our season one finale episode, uh,
0: and I guess for you uh, six or seven listeners out there, <laughs> uh, it did take us a while to get here. It's been pretty busy in our personal and professional lives over the last couple of weeks, but we made it. We're here. And we actually had a couple other surprises, too. It seems that Amazon Prime no longer has Farscape Season 1 available, at least for Prime, for free. Fortunately, we both know a guy and could watch the final two episodes of Season 1. Seasons 2 through 4 are still on Prime, so that's good. So we got something to do next time. Apparently, this looks like it's happened before, at least according to Google and people's Reddit threads back in 2020 with Season 1. So who knows? It might be back on Prime later or somewhere else or not that's the fun of streaming what are you gonna do
1: yeah it's there is, there's an interesting some research to do there on is season one like studio owned by something different or i don't know it just seems kind of funny that that season one is the one that seems to have issues i'm not sure why
0: yeah because like two through four it's still there so it makes no sense to me but yeah i mean who knows how they have it farmed out or scheduled or the rights or i don't know how this stuff works and i don't want to know how this stuff works <laughs> 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 i got the problems going on with my life i don't need to know how that works
1: let's just add one more brick to the you know load there yeah
0: all right so let's jump in to the fun here so season one episode 21 bone to be wild uh we open with kind of an homage to world war ii submarine epics like run silent run deep to avoid being uh, scanned by krase's command carrier Moy is hiding in an asteroid field behind an asteroid following their escape from the base. They've lowered the temperature and power to avoid being scanned. The scan passes by, leaving Moya and her offspring undetected, but Pilot picks up a distress call from the nearby asteroid they're hiding near, revealing an alien female under attack from some unseen creature. Meanwhile, Krace is upset that Moya has still not been found, and he wants to enter the asteroid field to find her. Scorpius pops into Krace's office and suggests that he bombard the area with signals to try to make the offspring reveal itself in panic, figuring that then the mother would not abandon her child either, and they would find them. Kreis' Lieutenant, Bracca asks Kreis what they should do, and Kreis says his orders stand, and they will change position and try to find them in the asteroid field. Back with our intrepid crew, Xan, Dargo, and Crichton go down to the asteroid, hoping they also find charts to help get them out of the asteroid field, because I guess that's the apparent thing all around, that they need charts for everything. Uh, surprisingly, the asteroid has a breathable atmosphere, abundant plant life, and gravity. More on that later. They hear screams and encounter the beast attacking the female, and scare the beast off. A female reveals she is called emily and she does not want to be left alone the creature has killed all her family she says they return to the transport pod where they get attacked by the beast who's lying in wait injuring dargo severely before getting driven off again back on the ship pilot tells aaron that she's the only one he feels he can trust and tells her that moya is having problems communicating with her offspring there is tension between them he asks aaron to tell moya why the peacekeepers did this to her son and since she should have more of an idea than anyone else could she go over to the offspring and try to make him understand aaron does and goes on board the offspring and mentions what an astounding combination of peacekeeper and leviathan technology the baby is pilot suggests turning off the child's comrade, since the peacekeepers may use it to find them. Aaron does find it and sees that it's in passive mode and figures out the baby is helping her since the panels around her keep lighting up. As she begins talking to the baby. Back on the peacekeeper command carrier, Scorpius is in Kreis' quarters again, playing more mind games with him. Kreis says he wants him off the ship, but Scorpius reminds him of all his failures and threatens to take over instead. Back on the asteroid, Xan is trying to heal Dargo, but she needs more plants from outside. So John is about to go off and get some. But oddly enough, weirdly enough, Emily begins to sniff Zan, saying her scent is different, and she smells like outside. Zan reveals that Emily is right. She's also a flora. Ha! We knew it! We predicted this. (laughs) (laughs) We suspected this from prior episodes that Zan wasn't, I don't say organic, but wasn't um, carnivorous or um, flesh and blood like we are, that she was more like a plant. Uh, John can't believe that she's a plant, even though Dargo says, of course, everyone knows Delvians are flora evolved. Apparently flora species are quite common where they are in the universe emily detects that the creature is coming and she runs off after it kraton runs after her and when the creature comes xan disappears camouflaging herself from the creature's view like her own little personal cloaking device dargo is upset with john for allowing xan to get captured but emily reveals she won't be eaten but taken to the beast's hunting ground and killed later john and emily go to rescue her but when they find the area where they think she is emily starts getting hungry and attacks john The creature suddenly appears and knocks down John, grabs his gun, and shoots at Emily as she runs away. The beast tells John he is not the enemy. Back in Peacekeeper World, Kreis is angry that Scorpius is undermining him with his bridge officers, saying if his command were under question, then he should have been recalled. Uh, Scorpius reminds him point-blank that, uh, yeah, you were recalled, and you're guilty of disobeying this order, as well as the murder of Lieutenant Teague. Remember your fun in the orature last episode, where we revealed all the secrets that you had? Scorpius leaves as Kreis is forced to realize that he is no longer the one in control. Oh, poor Grace. Back on the asteroid, the creature, whose name we find out is Bernie, says the atmosphere is thin outside, so he was way too out of breath to say anything to John. Earlier in the pod, he was trying to warn them that uh, Emily is a calcivore. She feeds on bone, or calcium, I guess, and would have eaten John. Bernie is a botanist who led a team on this asteroid, but Emily killed his team, including his mate. Peacekeepers are scanning again, so Aaron has to reduce the offspring's energy signature, but he won't let her. Uh, she... Talks to him and makes him understand that though the peacekeepers in a way made him, he must trust his mother and trust her. And the offspring reduces power. Back on the asteroid, Bernie makes some of the plants that Zan needs to heal Dargo using a machine that creates a huge plant from a small sample, basically unminiaturizing the plant that was miniaturized. Bernie and Zan go off to heal Dargo, leaving John to protect the lab. When they're gone, Emily pops up. She wants to talk to John and tells him Bernie brought her ancestors to this asteroid to rid it of all herbivorous or herbivorous life, leaving only the plants. She says she. She knows she will start eventually if she remains on the asteroid as she has no more food so she'll try to control the hunger if john provides her with a more regular food supply back on the offspring aaron manages to charge the offspring's cannon in case of an attack and tells pilot they seem to have an understanding pilot says communication between Moy and her offspring is improving rachel thinks aaron should stay on it in case of an attack but aaron says she will not drag it into a conflict not of its making Back on the asteroid, Bernie has healed Dargo, but John returns and reveals Bernie's secret. Dargo and Crichton are upset that sentient beings were used for murdering stinking plants, which upsets Xan, since he is a stinking plant. is about to throw Bernie out and leave, but he reveals he has charts of the asteroid field. Xan, having a cool head, goes with him to retrieve those charts. Back on the command carrier, Scorpius interrupts Krace during a meal to reveal what he has put in his communication to Peacekeeper Command. He's told them everything Kreis has done and says he will see him personally stripped of rank and office. Scorpius reveals he is now taking command of the carrier and a physical fight ensues. Scorpius displays his physical superiority and overcomes Kreis and kind of like tosses him around the room there. John goes to the lab and finds Bernie injured. He says Emily took Zan. John goes after her but then remembers halfway running through the forest that Zan doesn't have any bones. So why would Emily want to eat Zan? So Bernie was lying and he returns back to the lab. John confronts Bernie about Zan, and finds that she's been miniaturized by Bernie's machine. After a brief fight with Bernie, John restores her, but during the fight, Bernie is caught by the, I guess, enlarging or reconstituting laser, and gets sliced in half. Uh, Emily appears as John and Zan are about to leave, saying she'll die of starvation, so they let her feed on what's left of Bernie until the peacekeepers come. Back on Moya, the charts will allow them to exit the field, Aaron tells John that the baby is amazing, and Pilot thanks her since Moya and the offspring are now getting along. She says she did it for the good of the ship, and Pilot reveals that Moya would like Aaron to name the child. Back on the asteroid, the Peacekeepers have searched the asteroid and found Emily. Scorpius hugs her, showing compassion, and tells the others, Sometimes we must know when to give of ourselves. Just before the episode ends, Emily's head turns red again. She's hungry. The end. Uh, some trivia about this episode the actress who played emily Francesca bueller is actually ben browder's wife and uh, she apparently played a different character in each of farscape's four seasons so we'll see her again but i guess not as emily apparently Uh, this episode was nicknamed monster girl during production the cast and crew continued to refer to the episode by that name long after filming was complete Uh, some of the cave scenes were filmed in a garage at the back of fox studios due to overcrowding on the studio floor like i said lots of sets built the animatronics for emily took eight puppeteers to operate which is kind of crazy because she was like a basically in a full bodysuit. but okay cool rockney abandon and david kemper the creators and main writers and directors of the series wrote the final two episodes together abandon felt that this episode was a fun diversion before the climax he uh, he continues the idea for the episode was one that we had way early on and never quite found a plot for it. So we then decided that this would be the place to put it. The original notion was supposed to be a reverse on James Cameron's Aliens. There you've got a little girl, a sweet little cute thing, who you're constantly protecting from the big ugly monster. What we wanted to do was have that sweet cute little girl, and she's the monster. Uh, he also noted that they had a tough time in Australia casting children because they didn't seem to have a very big field of child actors there. Uh, Obana noted that the moment that affected him the most emotionally from the first season was when Moya asked Aaron to name her baby. The look on Claudia's face, he says, is so perfect. There's no dialogue, just that look. It hit me in the heart. And finally, Gigi Edgley, who plays Tiana, is finally added to the opening credits beginning with this episode. So I guess that proves that she's not going anywhere. So she's in the credits. All right. So to kick off our discussion, I just want to throw a call back to last episode and ask, where the heck did Stark go? Is he wandering around Moya somewhere? Because picked them up from the gimmick base last episode and they all
1: left where'd he go that's one of the things that i thought was interesting and i'm glad, I'm glad you mentioned it because honestly with our hiatus in between these uh, last couple episodes I forgot that he was even there. And as soon as you said that, I'm like, oh, yeah, he was, like, in the last scene. So, or next to last scene, I guess, because, anyway, he was he was with them on the ship, right? So, do we have just this whole cast of characters that, throughout the run of the show, just start hiding in different places around Moya, and, you know, for the season finale, we just drag them all out, or the series finale, right? I mean, I mean, there's a spinoff here of, you know, Lost in Space on a Leviathan, I don't know, you know.
0: Yeah. Lost on <laughs> Moya, right? Yeah. yeah, right. Land of the Lost, uh, yeah, or... Leviathan at the Lost. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I'm like, okay, they might mention something or whatever. Um, but apparently there was a, a trivia note that I didn't put in just so I could make this little
1: cute joke that they did have some line saying what happened to Stark, but they cut it out. So, okay, whatever. Yeah, which makes you wonder, you know, is is, is this another one that we'll, we'll stick in our back pocket that we may bring back, but we don't have to? You know what I mean? Or we, did it not work out? They didn't like the actor? There's all kinds of weird things you could pull out for, for different things with that. but. I feel like they're, they're, they've built themselves to such huge array of, of people where we're going, are they going to come back? Are they going to come back? That it just it's, it's kind of a funny side note as we go through the show. And, you know, they had him on through two episodes. So they must have liked
0: him enough, at least for those two. But, you know, we'll, we'll see if he shows up later. You know, we got three more seasons, as long as we can still watch it on Amazon or somewhere. And I thought it was kind of cute that the, the two alien names were kind of like plays on human names, like Emily, like Emily and Bernie, like B-R-N-E, Bernie, like the real Bernie, like Bernard Bernie.
1: Yeah, again, this is one of those cases where me watching it without subtitles on or anything, I I just thought that's what they were naming it until, you know, we started actually putting stuff down on paper. It's like, oh, it's, it's you know, a, an alien name, not a human name, because I just thought it was Emily and Bernie, the whole show. So who <laughs> do I know? Yeah, I always put the subtitles on just because sometimes, like especially with older episodes
0: or TV shows from like 20 years ago, sometimes the sound's not too good or whatever, or, or my hearing, I'm old now, not that good anymore. So I want to make sure I catch all the dialogue and stuff, you know, so I put the captions on and yeah, it was, you know, M apostrophe L E E and B R apostrophe N E E. So, okay, cute. And it also makes it easier for the actors to say the names too. And not some, you know, long, weird name.
1: Yeah. We're not, we're not speaking Klingon here, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and just as a side note,
0: since I've, you know, I've, I've watched at some point past this when I first started watching. And back then when I was watching, you know, John, was always carrying like a sidearm with him which up until I guess these last couple episodes he really wasn't armed whether he they didn't want him to have a gun or wanted him to show him evolving and now realizing this is like a dangerous place that you know from here on it looks like he's you know always got a, a sidearm with him and I guess these last couple episodes he's not wearing his you know ASA flight suit or his kind of earth type clothes now he's more wearing clothing of that era, like that side of the galaxy or whatever
1: Well, you know, even with space laundry, there's only so long that your clothes are going to hold up before you have to replace them. He's been in space a while. I've not, you know, seen anything further than this, so I didn't catch up on the sidearm thing. But uh, without spoiling too much of future conversation about the next episode, he does have his hero speech that he's given to his uh, recorder. And during that, he holsters the sidearm. So I think they're definitely, you know, shooting for a transition in character there where he's now accepted the role he has on this side of the universe, galaxy.
0: Yeah, or just after the last 21 episodes of being constantly in danger, attacked, and shot at, that it's time for him to, like, okay, now I'm going to start shooting back again, I guess.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we've transitioned a little bit past just a passive scientist role to, okay, I'm going to be an active participant. I've got to be prepared.
0: And uh, I guess, like I mentioned in the the recap, that, yeah, they first landed on the asteroid, and I was kind of surprised that it was, like, plants everywhere, breathable atmosphere, and gravity. They later explained all that, at least the plants and the oxygen part that bernie's people had seeded or planted or cultivated you know these plants in this in this asteroid for research and whatever else they're doing not quite sure where the gravity came from but you know at this point you kind of have to hand wave this away as just okay it's a fun episode don't try to get bogged down in science details because you're gonna just not have fun if you do that
1: (laughs) yeah hand wave is exactly how i approach those kind of things i mean gravity is always one of my fun things i like to watch for in any space show Because at a certain point, you just kind of have to start ignoring it. Because if you have to stop and think about how there's gravity on each of these spaces where you need people to not float around, it can get tedious. So at a certain point, you're just like, yeah, it's space, future tech, you know, just roll with it. And I think this is one of those cases where they're like, you know, it's an asteroid. Don't think about the fact that it's an asteroid, not a planet. Just kind of go with it. You know, asteroids are just little planets, right? Yeah. And yeah, I don't get how gravity
0: works. But yeah, it's like, yeah, whatever. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, at least in like Star Trek, they explain that they have like you know gravity plates or something on the on the under the deck to keep you like acting like gravity, which
1: apparently never ever has a problem and goes offline. But whatever, you know, don't want to go through either. <laughs> but, yeah, but if if you think about it, when do they mention that? I mean, usually it's after some tech people have been, built a schematic of their own of the ship, and they have yeah. to kind of explain to those people why, why, how does this work? And it's like, well, it's a spaceship; it's in the different galaxy. Don't worry about it. You know? Yeah,
0: you know, it, it's the future; they figured it out. So. Don't worry about it. Just just enjoy the show. Yeah. And that's what we do. We enjoy the show. And like we like, I've kind of cheered or, or cackled in the recap that we thought Xan was plant-based a long time ago from the hints they've dropped in prior episodes. And this episode, they basically everybody confirms that. It's like, of course. Everyone knows that Delvians are plant life. Oh uh, really well <laughs> not quite apparently
1: yeah and this is this is kind of one of those where part of me goes you know as as intimate as they are in their adventures and their travel and interactions you think that this would be obvious but i've never interacted with a plant-based life form so you know as far as like you know intelligent humanoid uh so i guess that's that's something i can't really judge i'll be honestly i got i gotta say that when when they started talking about it the only thing i could have in my brain that i still haven't managed to get out is the uh Mushroom people from Super Mario Brothers movie. So (laughs) there's, there's that. Let's just hope they don't devolve them into mushroom goo.
0: Yeah, and you know Zan seems like I guess she eats food or or she's been at the dinner table. I don't know if we ever seen her eating. I have, and I'm not gonna go back and look. But yeah, I mean I guess if everybody knows that Delvians are plant life, why bring it? Why make a point of mentioning it? Right? Because everybody knows it. Just you know the new guy from across the universe doesn't. But who cares? It's not important. It's just things everybody knows. Uh, and then I guess this episode is basically the kind of the old switcheroo kind of episode. Uh, you know, you, you think one thing, like you think Emily is the victim and Bernie's the monster, especially when you find out later that Bernie's people basically dumped her and her kind onto the asteroid to kill all the animals and didn't bother to come get them when they're done and relocate them or take them somewhere else, just going to leave them there to die out, basically cannibalize themselves
1: and then die of starvation. They're, they're just, you know, disposable people. It's actually you know kind of a, a double switchery, right? Because you start out with Bernie being the monster, and then no, he was just misunderstood scientist. He's actually not the monster. And then it's like, well, they actually were the ones who killed off all the life on this planet. Uh, that uh, herbivorous. Herbiv- herbiv- I can't talk. Yeah. Uh, herbivor Yeah, that word that eats plants. The, pe- the things that eat plants. They killed all those off uh, intentionally, and then just left uh, Emily's. See, I said Emily and not Emily. Yeah. Uh, her-, her people there to die. Uh, die out intentionally and nope he's actually the villain after all because from a certain point of view because he was yeah, you know, they did all that intentionally so good good double fake there yeah and yeah they, you know, they're also they're both
0: kind of not really good and not really well i guess you call them evil but not really evil evil but yeah they're both not necessarily good people either good good stewards of where they're at so
1: yeah and you know from from emily's perspective you know if she's going to starve to death and she can't really control it's difficult to control those impulses when she's starving right so at a certain point you kind of wonder it's not really villain as much as it is survival nature survival Uh, right yeah right but you know then again they did she did eat eat the rest of her people right because that's how she lived so long (laughs) so there's no good no good no good people on this planet i think you're right or asteroid will just kind of accept what is
0: yeah it's just a you know lose lose proposition here so
1: and then, you know, of course, Bernie
0: being a botanist, you know, sure, he wanted to make Xan part of his collection. I think he even mentions that, you know, he's heard of Delvians, but didn't either know they existed or never thought he would find one. And so this is probably like, you know, the ultimate prize for him, you know, a, a sentient plant that, you know, apparently he's never met another one like that before.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Again, are, are they common? Or are they not common? Yeah. I guess we're still in the uncharted regions or lost in space or wherever the section is and maybe they're not as familiar with them although we've ran into other colonies and stuff so it it, it was surprising uh for him to to consider her hearsay but yeah definitely a prize for his collection it it definitely checks out yeah because all the healing properties of stuff that they have because
0: you know it you know cured Dargo from some i guess massive internal injuries he had from the first part of the show, that, yeah, I mean, I guess he was saying that I guess he can learn so much from, you know, Zan's species or her, I guess, later if he's, like, on the way to that that sector or whatever. Uh, who knows? But, yeah, so...
1: Yeah, and that's a good point, given as often as Dargo and others get hurt, it'd be kind of nice to bottle some of these plant stuff up and take it with them for future medical emergencies. Yeah, you wonder if they did kind of stock up on some
0: stuff before they left because they not really... You know, like, time frame of how the peacekeepers are hunting for them and when they have to leave and, I guess, when they either... Told them where they were, or somehow they figured out where they were before they left. Because obviously at the end they're there and taking Emily with her, with them or whatever. So yeah, who knows? Maybe we'll find that later. Maybe not. Uh, and then we get a more close-up look or exi inside look at Moya's baby. You know, I, I keep wanting to call him by the name we learn next episode, but I want to jump ahead. So, but you know, obviously everything's smaller because he's a baby. He's a little guy. But being a hybrid of peacekeeper and uh, leviathan, I don't say technology, but whatever whatever you want to call it he's more military looking like the, the command deck he's on that aaron goes on to is like more military looking and like utilitarian like it's like single focus it's like about war and military looking stuff which kind of makes me wonder thinking about you know tr- you know, again not thinking too much about the science but i am because that's where my brain goes like how all this electronic and non-organic stuff get there right i'm kind of thinking or i thought in my own head cannon that it took like a grown leviathan and then like built or installed all the non-organic equipment like wiring you know the life
1: support with the crew quarters and all that kind of stuff later i guess not yeah that that's that's definitely something that we don't really have a good explanation of right i mean i was kind of in the same boat you know i thought that just like the control collar this was non-original stuff that was installed on moya to make her a spaceship yeah i mean you yeah, know, i guess she technically was a space of traveling an organism but the, all the stuff and, and systems that she controls that make her a, a technological ship i thought were, were aftermarket and it <laughs> seems that no they're they're uh they're they're from the factory and that's an, that's an interesting uh conundrum because like you say what what happens when it gets bigger right does do the systems get bigger does it they just space out and more things pop up i mean it, it, there's a whole uh exploration they could do and i I wasn't even sure based on, you know, TV show budgets that we could even get to see the CD inside of it because I have no experience with, you know, what we find out later. But um, it, it'll be interesting to see. And I, I'd love an actual explanation of what their thought process is on where these these things come from and how they work from a uh, birth perspective, I guess.
0: Yeah, because like when it was growing inside Moya, were was it like nanotech or were like the DRDs on Moya doing stuff to make the non-organic stuff show up or grow or? you know attached to him or i don't know and then yeah like when it grows bigger like are there dr does does the baby have drds with him like inside him like moya does and are they like maintaining him and maybe as he grows bigger they're like okay he's gotten you know 18 feet bigger let's make the command deck 18 feet bigger you know i don't know
1: <laughs> yeah it's Interesting. There's a yeah. whole, like you said, a conversation around that to look
0: for. So. Yeah, it's just a fun mental game to kind of play with when, again, it doesn't really matter. You're just supposed to accept it and go on with
1: it. But in the back of your head, you're like,
0: how does this work? But you know. It's-
1: well, and like you said, do we get more systems on him as he gets bigger? I mean, he's already got guns to the gills. So does to get more? That's, is it when he gets bigger? It's kind of interesting thought.
0: Yeah, I think it was in this episode or next one that I think Dargo or someone says that basically if he were to shoot the Peacekeeper Commander, it wouldn't do anything because it's not powerful enough yet. So I'm guessing as he mm-hmm. grows older or grows bigger, he'll have more power and they'll get bigger. It'll, the gun will be stronger. I'm guessing. Gotcha. Otherwise, why have this merging of Peacekeeper and Leviathan if it's like oh, it's just a little pop gun and doesn't do anything? So at some point, it's got to you know get more powerful. But who knows? And I guess keeping in that theme, I guess what we learned you know twenty some episodes or not twenty, like fifteen plus episodes ago. Aaron, who's still partially infused with Pilot's DNA, way back, uh, that comes back in a good way. Pilot tells her that she's the only one that can get through the child and get it to open up to Moya because she's both peacekeeper and pilot peacekeeper and Leviathan kind of bridge, I guess, between those two worlds. So she's the best person
1: to try to get the little guy to like open up and start listening to mama. And her mixing of the fact that he's got peacekeeper stuff mixed in with him, you know, the modifications does mean that he would identify with her more readily, right? Cause she, she being a peacekeeper and kind of mouth spoiler for the next episode. You know, we do find out that, that he doesn't need a pilot. Um, So before that, I was actually expecting her to be, you know, use that DNA to become his pilot kind of, but it doesn't sound like he needs one at the same integration as Moya. So it'll be interesting to see if that that resurfaces or if they just kind of use that to say, that's why we don't have another pilot Muppet that we need on the other ship, right? Yeah, because otherwise it'd be kind of a short, not season, but short
0: episode. It's like, oh, well, we we can't control him. He just, he runs away and, you know, oh, well,
1: (laughs) you know. You only need one muppet in space, not not multiples. I guess I don't that's know, right.
0: So. Yeah, we have we have Rigel and Pilot. That's enough. We don't need
1: <laughs> And evidently, Emily takes a good number of people. And then uh, I guess on the opposite side of the war,
0: of the of the Peacekeeper world here, we see uh, more signs that Scorpius is going to be a major player in the show. Uh, he's basically all up in Kreese's business. Uh, he's offering su- suggestions, quote-unquote, to the crew, which is, I guess, more like orders when Kreese isn't around. Uh, and by the end of the episode, he's basically, now he's the boss. He's the captain of the command carrier. And apparently in that little fight they had in Kreese's cabin, apparently, I think, they, I th- is he called a Scarin, I think they said he's a half Skarin, half Sebation. Apparently the half Skarin part makes him really strong because he was tossing Kreese around like a ragdoll.
1: They're, they're definitely slow-rolling information about him out. You know, every time he's in an episode, we find out a little bit more. And like you say, now he's a hybrid and definitely has some abilities that we haven't seen from typical peacekeepers, right? So, Sebastian. It's just kind of an interesting thing for them to continue doling out information as we shift to him being the big bad and Grace becoming less of one, right? He's now losing power minute by minute.
0: Yeah, because, like, Scorpius is kind of like you're, you're all-in-one villain. Like, you know, he's smart, he's conniving, he's strong. He's got some special senses, apparently, because he spotted Crichton last time. You know, he's sniffing people and knows things about them. Next episode, we'll see he can tell if people are lying or not, or at least some people are, you know beings, I should say, not people. So yeah, it's kind of nice to see them kind of drop more hints about him and make him become the big the big bad now, I guess.
1: And evidently, him being a hybrid doesn't affect his status in the command structure. You know They don't seem to have any prejudice, open prejudice about him, because they don't have any trouble letting him take over.
0: Yeah, that's true. It's a good point because before they've mentioned like the, the purity or like the, the racial purity of peacekeepers or sebations, I guess. So, yeah, it's kind of interesting that they let him run around or
1: either he's got something on everybody or they're just scared to death of him and <laughs> just let him do his thing. Right. But we've seen that on, on his carrier, at least, you know, Crace is not scared to make people disappear and has has more control over his people than we seem to see in other peacekeepers. But uh, this guy handled that neatly. Yeah. And he seems like not like the... the...
0: You know, I'll kill you, Commander. Like Crace was. He's more like reasoning-ish with Krace's subordinates. Maybe that'll change once he now he's in command. Maybe he'll eventually have the iron fist kind of thing. But for now, he's like the more sane of the two commanders, I guess. Right. So Right. And I guess as we exit the uh, episode here, uh, I kind of liked how Dargo basically gets Emily to to back off by letting her know that you know, hey, you know, if you just don't you know don't eat us for a little while longer, if you can do that, and there'll be a whole bunch of new people coming that you can feed on, you know, the peacekeepers. <laughs> so, and at the end, sure enough, Scorpius, I guess, takes her with him. I guess, or he says he will. Cause you know, he's like, you know, we should be compassionate or whatever. And although he kind of also smells her. So does he know something or did he, did she fool him somehow? Is that the way he was trying to figure out what she was and think she's fine. So that's why he says, we'll take her back with
1: us. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure that'll be the, one of the first things they they cover on the next episode. You know, she'll be right there at the beginning. Yeah, because you know, now they've taken somebody else off a, pla- a planet with
0: them. So I'm sure we'll see the next time, right? Right. I mean, that, yeah. that, that, That's how it works, right? Yeah. If, if, pick, if, up, if, pick, pick up right where they left off. If they're in the final scene of the last episode, they should be in the first scene of the next episode. That's how it should work.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Spoilers. I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Somehow I think this will be deja vu all over again, but we'll find out. And, and that sounds like a good jumping off point to go ahead and step into. Season 1, Episode 22, Family Ties. Part 1. Uh, we open with Moya still trapped in the asteroid field from last episode, but there's now a bigger problem. Rigel has taken a transport pod and is headed toward Krace's command carrier. The rest of Moya's crew aren't happy. Apparently, his eminence is out to strike a deal with Scorpius and Krace. That seemed to come out of nowhere, but we'll continue. Krace, meanwhile, wonders why Rigel is on his way to them alone, and Scorpius remarks that perhaps he wants to become part of Krace's collection, uh, referring to the Hynerian trophies in Krace's quarters. Kreis thinks it's all just a game to Scorpius. However, he denies it, saying he cares a great deal about one thing, the wormhole technology that Crichton holds. Lieutenant Bracka brings in Rigel, who says they want Leviathan, its gunship offering, and the defector Aaron Sohn, and especially John Crichton. Are they interested? Yep, time to make a deal. Back on Moya, Pilot has plotted a course out of the asteroid field using the charts from Bernie, but Moya refuses to leave her offspring who cannot starburst. It can't use its weaponry effectively until it's fully grown, and John tells Aaron and Dargo he will not be taken alive by the peacekeepers. He's been in the Aurora chair, and he will not go back. He asks what would happen if one of them pretends to dock at the command carrier, but at the last second drives the transport pod straight into the bridge. Aaron says it won't cripple their operations, but Crichton asks what would, would happen if it's loaded with explosives. Back on the carrier, Crichton is now having a full meal when Scorpius says he could easily put Rigel in the chair, but is told it will not work, and Kreis agrees that a Hynerian would die instantly. Uh, Scorpius then agrees that he will exchange Rigel's freedom for Crichton, saying the rest is insignificant. However, Rigel wants a ship, a crew, and more. Scorpius says he's lying about why he's there, but Rigel denies it. Scorpius then tells the guards to lock him up, but he says no, Crichton will not be taken on live. Scorpius says he's telling the truth about that, and asks him if he will help them capture Crichton instead. Back on Moya, Dargo tries to convince Shanna to wear chains when the peacekeepers come, so they think she's a prisoner, but she rejects that. Meanwhile, is whipping up a substance that becomes explosive when mixed with certain items, and she says that she has made a family on Moya and feels it's all coming to an end. John replies that, for what it's worth, she is family. Aaron is with Pilate, trying to comfort him, since he is sharing Moya's pain. He says that they have grown close in their time together and her prowler is still on board so she can leave and not be captured. She tells him that she's not going anywhere and when she finally has a name for Moya's son, she will give him one. It will bear proudly. It's her honor. John is trying to record a message to his father. Hey, that sounds like something we remember from prior episodes, right? But uh, he can't find the right words for it. When Aaron walks in on him and tells him how lucky he is because she knows little about her mother and even less about her father. On the carrier, Crace walks in on Rigel, who's having a bath, and says he must discuss Rigel's future. Scorpius has ordered his execution and asks if he really thought he could strike a bargain with a scare and half-breed. Rigel ca- asks if why Crace is telling him this, and he says that they're in similar situations, but he wants to survive. Rigel returns to Moya and the others fear it's a trap even though he was not followed. Dargo, Zan, Crichton, and Aaron all point their guns at the door as Rigel hovers in saying not to shoot. He tells them not to let their reaction to what they will see next include weapons fire as Krace walks in behind him. Krace then says he asked Rigel for asylum and to be placed. In a, he then asks to be placed in a cell so that he won't be harmed. Dargo takes exception to his presence and beats on him until he reveals that Dargo was wrongfully imprisoned. Krace knew that that Dargo was not guilty of the murder of his wife, with Aaron telling him it was actually her brother, a peacekeeper, who committed the crime. But Crace says he couldn't reverse his conviction. Crichton considers this an easy answer, but Crace counters that they are all proof that life isn't fair. Crichton says if life was fair, Crace would be dead. Rigel tells Zan and China what he saw. It was no act. Scorpius was in control of the command carrier. Rigel recognizes Crace's value, but Zan says he went to sell them out. Rigel replies, you bet I did, but I didn't. Dargo and Aaron are preparing the explosives when they say they have to come to rely on each other, and she wishes she'd been able to see his son. He tells her he misses him more every day, and she says he has his father's blood, so he's probably just like him. John is watching over Crace, saying he wants a human male-to-male conversation, and this is close enough. Crace says he understands now that John didn't purposely kill his brother. He thought about, at first it was about his brother, but somewhere along the lines, it became about him. Later on, Crace is telling the crew that Scorpius will attack as soon as he detects the transport pod, destroying it once they detect explosives and before it hits. Dargo mentions that there's one thing he values more than anything, Gammic Base. They could ignite the moon's oil surface and destroy it as a distraction, allowing their escape. Someone will have to fly the pod. Crace says it won't work because there's one thing Scorpius values more than anything, and that's Crichton. Dargo volunteers, Gianna, then China sees John saying she knows he will go too. He says that that's what Scorpi wants, and she thanks John for saving her life, giving him a goodbye kiss. He says one day she can return the favor and save somebody else's life. Lieutenant Bracket tells Scorpius that Peacekeeper Command has deemed Krace irreversibly contaminated. Scorpius is now in full control. Scorpius' orders are then to cripple the Leviathan. If the offspring responds to their signal, bring it in or else destroy it. He says everyone but Crichton is dispensable. Krace and Aaron are on the, life, on the offspring, and he says it's amazing. All other attempts to breed one have failed, and it must have been because they were in captivity. The offspring can have a pilot, but it doesn't require one as it responds to direct voice commands. Aaron and Crayz agree that it should be left out of their conflicts. John says he allows Rigel to have possessions if he doesn't make uh, his possessions if he doesn't make it. Rigel says he can be selfish, but please don't hold it against him. Uh, China, meanwhile, has cooked everyone's favorite meals as appreciation for all they've done for her. In the meantime, John leaves the message to his father, saying he thinks that his time has come, but he's not afraid. His dad did good. Zan blesses John and Dargo, and they all say their goodbyes. Dargo gives the hollow image of his wife and son to Zan so she can give it to him, her, his son. Aaron tells them that if they get it right, the peacekeepers won't notice them, and she'll be there. The peacekeepers detect the transport pod, but Scorpius won't change course until they know more information. Dargo and John are in the pod, and Pilot wishes them luck. Initial peacekeeper scans reveal a Luxon and human on board, so Scorpius changes course and says he wants the prisoners alive. John arms the explosives while Pilot tells Aaron, who's in her prowler, that the offspring is not responding to Moya. She tells him to call it by its name, Talon, which is her father's name. Lieutenant Bracker reveals that there are explosives in the pod, and Scorpius says if they ignite the old surface of the moon, the base will have to be evacuated. Dargo says it's time to go, and John says... He loved hanging out with him, giving him his dad's good luck charm. They exit the pod, leaving them drifting in space. Aaron has to get them, as Dargo can only survive for one quarter of an arm uh, without a suit, which he's just kind of free-floating there. The transport hits the moon, and the surface ignites behind them. Krace has boarded Talon, and Aaron can't get John and Dargo, as there are too many prowlers around. Aaron orders Krace to leave, telling him it's wrong to remove the child from his mother. And Krace reminds her, however, that this is exactly what happened to both of them, and tells Eren that he'll be interested to see how their relationship develops away from the Peacekeepers, on the off chance she manages to survive her current situations and they ever meet again. With that, Talon flies off with Krace back into the asteroid field. The command carrier is moving in on Moya, but no one, including Rigel, wants to leave the others. Moya refuses to go without Talon, so John speaks with her, saying her only chance to rescue her son is to save herself first, and thanks Moya for everything she's done for them. Watched by Dargo, John and Erin. Moya then starbursts away, and Dargo falls unconscious. With Aaron unable to rescue them, John and Dargo remain floating in space to be continued. A little trivia about this episode. Uh, The final shot of the season with the burning planet was something David Kemper had in his mind. I wanted to do an episode at the end of the season with Crichton and Dargo floating in space while a planet is burning behind them. I had to fight for it, but we ended up doing it. The extended time allowed the visual effects house enough time to, configure, to figure out how to achieve the shot. Anthony Simcoe remembers the final moments of this season being filmed, especially the last shot of Dargo's hand letting go of Crichton's good luck charm. They brought down the whole crew, the creature shop, construction, and all of the admin and production. So there were hundreds of people standing around watching us do this last simple shot. There was big applause and champagne. It was a touching moment. Also, in a big curveball, Crace asked for asylum aboard Moya. Abandon proudly states, That's, again, something that you would never have seen coming. There were shocks and surprises that were incredibly delicious. It's tough to do, and things like the craze reversal are why the audience seemed to really appreciate Farscape. When the episode was being filmed, Farscape had not yet been renewed for a second season. Abandon recalled, We didn't know we had the second season, but we had been well received. So even if the numbers weren't real high, we were higher than the other stuff on the Sci-Fi channel. So the word was that we would be back he continued to point out, obviously the cost factor every season was an issue, so that was always a potential stumbling block. But we did not leave the season knowing we would be back. If anything else, we felt we'd done really good work and we were really proud of what came out of a lot of time and effort. This was the final episode shot at Fox Studios in Sydney. The stage was required for shooting Star Wars Attack of the Clones. The production moved to an old customs warehouse at Homebush Bay. Also, this episode was John Eccleston's final work as Rigel's puppeteer. Ben Browder and Claudia Black later appeared in a Stargate SG-1 episode of the same name, SG-1 Season 10, Episode 18, Family Ties. But without the part one, though, I guess. Yeah, right. So, still your first question there. In keeping with my uh, the what we said last episode about where'd Stark go, where'd Emily go? I know. I mean, that was like the, literally the last
0: sequence of the last episode is, you know, they're hugging— Scorpius, she's like, take me with you. Great, we'll take you with her. Okay. It's been a whole hour of watching, or 45 minutes of watching a TV episode. No name drop. You know, they name drop Bernie, but Emily's AWOL, or she's now
1: she's lost on a, a peacekeeper ship. Well, what I what I picture is there's a spinoff here where everybody's all these missing characters are just sitting around drinking coffee together, right? You know, they have like a little uh, tin forwards somewhere on one of the ships, and they're just all kind of hanging out. Characters in cars having coffee or something. Is that <laughs> <laughs> Characters in Leviathans, I don't know. Yeah, uh, there's something there. Yeah, it could be a little spinoff, yeah. a little fun.
0: Yeah. One of those like Prow-
1: prowlers would be a better ride though. So I'd, I'd actually be up for you know, characters in a prowler drinking coffee. Yeah, there you go.
0: And then I guess so. Instead, we start out with Rigel. Basically, you know, I, I guess you're thinking he's probably pulling like another long con with Scorpius, like he was back in the flux flax. Sorry, flux that's Doctor Who the flax episode with the space pirates, where he kind of we're playing them for the whole show. But no, it seems like he was really planning on selling out everybody.
1: <laughs> so I'm like, what? <laughs> Is this where we're at now? Yeah, you know, we've we've kind of bragged on this show for getting away from the inconsistent character things. You know, oh, we've gotten we've learned from the light past mistake. No, just kidding. We're going to repeat the same mistake. You know, at first it was trying to get away from each other and kicking each other off the ship. And this is not quite back to that same level, but at the same time for an opening of the season finale, it's kind of like, where'd this come from? We could have had some foreshadowing. You could have had him in the background being suspicious or, you know, anything to hint at what's going on, but instead we just get this odd open.
0: Yeah. And then later, I mean, he he flat out admits it. He he tells Zan, you know, you you bit your blue ass. I did, but I didn't. (laughs) I'm like, what? So You just basically admitted to de facto treason. Like, you know, you really just sell out the crew so you can get
1: away. And then which they,
0: they kind of like let them like off the hook, basically.
1: Yeah. And, and again, you know, they, you could make that consistent with the selfish streak that, that Rigel's shown. But we had nothing in the last couple episodes to show that, that a reason for it. He just, you know, out of nowhere. It's, oh, by the way, this happened in between these two episodes. <laughs>
0: yeah i mean you know and you know he does admit later like when he and Crichton are talking and you know Crichton's like giving him his stuff and basically really pissed and telling him off that you know he's like yeah i can be selfish but don't hold that against me like well no i mean you basically tried to sell us out and get me dissected and killed so i do want to take it personally (laughs) but right or at least i would if i was in his shoes but I, i mean i guess he's he's cute and fluffy i guess you can't be too mad at him for too
1: long i don't know we're stuck together, so we'll just have to get past it. <laughs> yeah.
0: And, you know, maybe, like, you know, the, the 17th time you sell us out, you, you'll change your mind and won't do it again. I don't know. Whatever. But, fine.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah. You know, we, we, we can nitpick because we love the show. So, it just seems out yeah. of character.
1: Yeah. And, you know, that kind of leads to his return, right? Because he comes back and brings Crace with him.
0: Yeah. So, like, you know, if you, if you hate me, look, I brought somebody you hate even more. So, you know. <laughs> maybe that's, maybe that's a way one to, way to deflect. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I know. I kill me. But, look. <laughs> Yeah, and the, I guess it is you know kind of like you know the enemy of my enemy is my friend, right? And and Rigel and Crace do have something in common now. They're both going to be executed by Scorpius,
1: so I guess in that case, why not work together and get the heck out of there? Yeah, it. I don't know that. Again, I I don't want to make it sound like I didn't enjoy this episode, but this was one <laughs> of those things where it's like, because I did really enjoy it in the moment. I don't I don't mean I didn't, but as as we see at the end, letting Crace wander around the ship and, and just become part of the crew probably a bad idea i mean we've suffered quite a bit with this guy and just because he's in a bad spot doesn't mean that we're just gonna make him a full crew member and yet pretty quickly i mean they did initially talk about locking him up and all that and i guess you know Crichton was sitting outside his cell but almost right after that we just rolled to him being oh yeah let him do whatever we're gonna we are gonna inviting to our family dinner
0: yeah and even the fact that scorpius let right you know because right on Christ didn't escape the command carrier scorpius let them go like i guess they they sold him a story of maybe we can go convince Crichton to surrender if he, you know don't kill us right now and kill us later once we get Crichton, maybe and then spare our lives maybe i don't know and i guess scorpius figures yeah sure why not i mean i, I know what they're out there somewhere we're gonna
1: find them i'll kill them anyway and i'll kill you guys anyway so yeah go out there and try and get them back it'd be less work for me to do later yeah, although I'm not sure what he got by letting Kreis go. That was just kind of a weird one to me. I'm not quite sure I followed that point from Scorpius' point of view. Yeah, unless maybe because
0: Kreis has had dealings with him before, maybe in person he can somehow convince Crichton to surrender and to be dissected and everybody else can leave. I don't know, whatever. Again, we're not going to dwell too much on that because the rest of the show is pretty good. Right. I guess speaking of Kreis, it does seem like he's finally had his um, coming to Jesus moment, I guess, if you want to- put it that way he's now kind of playing nice with people and he admits that he was wrong he knows dargo didn't kill the peacekeeper that's why he got there but he, he, he couldn't do anything about it so oh well i sympathize but can't do anything about it and with a little talk with Crichton, uh, he finally admits that yeah i know you didn't kill my brother intentionally it's just it's, it's my problem not
1: your problem so again with all this being said he definitely should be a, a trusted crew member at this point with no <laughs> chance of betrayal you know he, he's he's seen the error of his ways he's he's repented. So. Yeah. Well, like I said, we're going to have this big family dinner that China made. We'll, we'll bring him along and let him you know, sit down and break bread with us yeah. to keep with the biblical. <laughs> right. But hey, he said he was sorry. So sure. Open the cell. Wander around
0: where you want. You're sorry. Right. Yeah. All good. Which then kind of makes you, in the back of your head, when the rest of the episode played out, was that his goal all along? Was to get there and somehow steal Talon? And escape or did it just kind of evolve as you know he wanted to get away from Scorpius because he's going to die no matter what so let me just let me at least get with people that I can try to hang with manipulate obviously he wasn't going to hang around the crew forever he wasn't gonna become part of their crew because they wouldn't want him anyway you know sorry or not so was his plan th- this all along or did this kind of just happen
1: as it evolved yeah so so in other words to quote a, another space franchise uh curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal <laughs> <laughs> who just saw that coming in question mark, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, no, but to, to really answer your question there, I, I'm going to go with, yeah, I think that's, that was the only out I see he had, right? I mean, well, out one, get off the ship from uh, and away from Scorpius, right? But I think for the moment, he's, he knew that Talon was out there. So it just seems to me that that'd be the, the first... First plan would be just take this ship. That's exactly what we wanted anyway. And think of think of what he can do with that ship once it becomes fully powered. So I think that he got exactly what he wanted. Yeah, and like like they said, you know, it's it responds to voice commands. So there's no
0: pilot. So he can basically be, be a one man crew, because you know I don't know how much he can hold because he's he's a small little guy. But he'll he only needs himself. And I guess there's living quarters and food replicator, not replicators, but whatever food cube dispensers or something like you know. So he can just go off and become his own one man whatever.
1: Well, and and we still don't have a, a timeline on how how long it takes a, a Leviathan to get to maturity, right? So it it could be in a year. You know, he just has to make it a year, and then he's got the most powerful ship around. So I don't know what that timeline is yet, but yeah, he's sitting pretty. So, mm-hmm. and you know, it was it was cool to see them like
0: evolve the plan because you know, usually in episodes or any movies or TV shows, it's like okay, let's make a plan. And then they cut to the plans being acted out, and everything's happening just like they planned it. There's no differentiation. It's amazing. that It just magically works out. But you know, here, they started out with, okay, maybe we take out the command carrier with the Kamikaze shuttle. And then it became a better plan with, okay, let's just burn up the Gammic base instead and try and draw Scorpius away to save the base, because that's where he has all his research and wormholes and stuff. And then when Kreis pointed out, you know, no, he really wants Kryten, so okay, we'll put Kryten on the shuttle to attack the base and Scorpius will go after them to give Moya time to get away. And we'll leave Aaron out there to grab them because they won't kamikaze and kill themselves. They'll jump out. She'll pick them up and everybody gets away scot-free.
1: Yeah, and and I I really enjoyed that as well. I think uh, to come up with the closest analogy I can think I've got to it is, you know, I really like heist movies, and I think this is in modern storytelling. This would have been told, you know, maybe flash forward at the beginning and then flashback to before it all happened. You know, there's there's cool stuff, but there's you could definitely Ocean's Eleven this this scenario, but to, to have a plan that that gets worked on and, and developed throughout the episode is definitely kind of a a cool thing to see the characters interacting and working on it.
0: Yeah, and you know, just because of this is the time when they do like season-ending cliffhangers and stuff to draw you into the next season. It doesn't quite go as planned. It goes like 99% according to plan. Or 98% if you want to include Talon leaving, crazy, betraying, surprise, inconceivable, and he leaves, and then they're stuck out in space since they can't get to them. So you know, it didn't quite go as planned, but it's almost perfect. Yeah, and it gives us somewhere to pick up from next time, right? So.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and then because they had lots of time, it was, this wasn't like action-packed, but they had lots of time to prepare for you know, what they thought was like a suicide mission. So they had lots of good, you know, character development, good character interaction, showing how they've grown over the last. 21 episodes right like he had like creighton and rachel having their little scene like you know you can take my stuff and rachel's like well no, no i don't want them no you can have them you know yeah i'm selfish but you know whatever and, and then vince is like okay sure we got chiana cooking everybody's favorite meals so we got yeah, another giant scene of everybody gorging themselves on 500 pounds worth of food chiana's trying to give herself to john he's like no you can kind of like pay it forward save somebody else like i saved you so we that, that little like nice little cute scene John recording stuff to his dad, like his final goodbye. And him and Aaron talking about his dad. Like, was it the same? Is he like the same guy that we met, who was the alien in this time? But was his dad like the alien? Because based off John's memories, that you know, she likes John's dad. Basically, we had Zan blessing Dargo and John, which they kind of remarked that you know, chicks dig that. I guess I don't know, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yeah, it was a cute. Whatever. And then you know, Dargo giving the hollow of his wife and son to Zan to give to them someday. So there's kind of like lots of like closure, as if they weren't going to see John and Dargo again and they wouldn't see them again, you know? So it's kind of nice to see how they've, they've bonded together as a, as a family. Like John said that, you know, Zan's family right before.
1: Yeah, and I'll add to that list, the because uh, this was probably my favorite interaction of the, the set, was the uh, John and Dargo on the ship, right? As they're wrapping up, and they're like, how are you feeling? He's like, I have to pee, you know? Yeah. And then, it, and it, and then it, you know, when they get ready to go, and he gives him the, the keepsake, and he's like, you know, it's been great hanging out with you. You know, you get you get some closure on how close they've become, too. So that was probably my number seven on that list. so Yeah, and how John's
0: like, this has kept me safe all this time, and Dargo's like, has it worked? He's like, so far, <laughs> or whatever, something like that. Yeah, I'm still
1: here. And he was like, "Good enough for him." That worked. Yeah. you know, it's like good enough. Sure. All right.
0: <laughs> yeah, and like you know, he's he's holding on to it in his hand while he's out in space. You know, he didn't put it around his neck or anything. He's like he's you know holding on to it to you that nice. Yeah, scene. Yeah, and he kissed and it enough.
1: when he got it, right? So. Yeah,
0: to give that nice scene when he finally passes out and he like his hand opens up and the the chain drifts away, which again, space, maybe not, but whatever. It's dramatic. You know, it's
1: cool. You know, I'm sure John has it at the beginning of the next episode because that's how we do it. But yeah. Um, right. <laughs> Aaron, Aaron picked that up first before she picked up them so yeah priorities you got you got to get the keepsake first right but yeah I mean I think I think they definitely did a great job of putting a bow on how close the crew become given if like you said we beat to death I think the the opening episodes of the season where they were all trying to leave each other right it's just as anything can happen oh, I left you here I left you here I left you here and um yeah we we, we definitely have become family and that's that's good now now the next season can Move on from that, and we can we can go forward. We've got the Family Ties set. Uh-huh. Got to use the, the title. Hey, there you go. Yeah, they didn't mentioned it, so we, we can name drop it ourselves, right? So. That's right. I'll just throw that out there. All right, so before we get into the season wrap-up, what did you think about these two episodes? You know, I think, I think we got a really good season finale. The Bone to be Wild, I had a few bones to pick with. Ha, ha, ha. No, I mean, it was an enjoyable episode and as a one off, it was fine. And again, I don't, I, it wasn't that I didn't enjoy it. I, I think I got a little frustrated with the lack of follow through, like we say, with some of the other episodes. You know, we've got characters disappearing. We've got characters from the end of this not disappearing. It, it makes you wonder how important that episode was. You know, it, it seemed to be just kind of a, a, a throwaway. If you, if you look at it, because we could have totally skipped it other than needing to get the maps from Bernie, which again, didn't we fly into this asteroid? So why do we need a map to fly out? I'm, I'm not hundred percent. I understand charts in this show, but moving past that episode, the second one more than made up for it.
0: Yeah. Like, you know, it's an asteroid field. Like there, there it's, it, it's, it's a finite length or width depth, whatever I call it, you know? So it's like, at some point, just keep going that way. And away from, you know, the peacekeepers are over here, go the opposite direction. And eventually, you'll get out of the asteroid field. Unless the charts have, here's where the big ones are, here's where, like, so you can avoid hitting them, but then Moy has sensors to find them too, but whatever.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Go slow. I'm not sure.
0: (laughs) But I mean, it was a nice change of pace, I guess, compared to the prior, like, action, torture, you know, threat, escape kind of episodes. So they got to at least, while they're hiding, so they can't go anywhere. But so they'd rather just have a whole episode of them being stuck on a ship, saying, like, shh, be quiet, they'll hear us. They at least got to do something.
1: Yeah, and and that's a good point. You know, maybe if I'd have binged these back to back to back, it would have been more of a breather that we needed. Spaced out, like we're watching these, I didn't really feel that. So maybe that that was something that happened in production that I just didn't feel. Yeah, like they need some kind of bridge between
0: the last two kind of serious action kind of things, and obviously the big finale cliffhanger action in the final in the final episode. So kind of have they still kind of mix it together. So it's kind of like yeah, like you know, three and a half episodes of the same kind of deal, and then you kind of have like a half episode of a little diversion, which you know we get to learn more stuff. Like you know, like we'll say later, like you know, even though things are bad or not, we don't quite like why we're we doing this they at least put nuggets in that make you want to watch it. You know, we got, we got, and, to, we got to learn about Zan being a plant, which we proved our theory, more good character development and, you know, stuff learning about the peacekeepers and Crace is basically getting subverted and losing everything he's worked for. So it, it was nice to have, you know, kind of like a more like a more, more plot than action or more, more development than action, I guess.
1: That's very true. And I can say, I, I think maybe my approach to it, maybe it suffers a little bit from being right behind a couple of really strong episodes. And then right before the f- season finale, So it probably was a lose-lose. You know, I don't know that anything you put in that slot is going to hold up as good as the ones before it and after it. And of course, we have the finale where they're
0: pulling out all the stops, got the big visual effects splurge of, you know, Crichton and Dargo floating in space behind a burning planet backdrop, which looked really cool. We end some plot lines, Krace and Crichton, I guess, burying the hatchet, so to speak. Aaron and Krace kind of, again, not so much her, like, basically like, haha, you're stuck in a chair, screw you, I'm out of here. They at least had some kind of follow-up conversation to that, at least, that they kind of had understanding, right? And then we open up, you know, new plot lines.
1: What happened to Talon? Scorpius is now in charge. Where's Stark and Emily? You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's pretty obvious that I really enjoyed this episode. I'm a, I'm a sucker for season wraps, so this is you know right up my alley. I'll be straight up and say I did not expect there to be that much of a cliffhanger, even though it was labeled part one. I get that. But I guess a lot of shows, especially if you don't know you're getting renewed, don't usually leave as much out there and this one surprised me by how much it left floating in space in front of a flaming planet or moon so you know it was great <laughs> literally floating in space in front of a burning yeah. <laughs> literally hey you know we we paid for that shot
0: we're going to use it as much as we can so. and maybe we'll see it Yeah, and I, maybe we'll see it at the beginning of next episode who knows I don't know
1: <laughs> well that or it's going to disappear and be hanging out <laughs> with the other guys getting coffee but
0: that's uh, right <laughs> There we go. So we got we got Stark, Emily, and a burning planetoid hanging out over here somewhere. Don't, don't, don't go over here. Nothing over here. Nothing to say here. All right. So we've made it. 11 episodes for us. 22 episodes total. I guess I can do my little prepared spiel here
1: for my review of season one. Good, because then I can just agree with it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Which, I guess, blows the thing that you know we're just doing this off the top of our heads. It's all scripted. We just don't. Re- no, no,
1: no. Spoiler. We're bad at reading a script.
0: That's right. <laughs> As if you haven't figured it out by now. <laughs> so, although we're getting better you know, as the more we do this we get better at making fun of having a good time with this sort of thing but yeah so my, my basic recap or review of season one here at least for me because I think I mentioned on and off that you know, I've seen somewhere season two and beyond is when I started watching it you know, 20 years ago so I, n- I never saw season one so i never got to see how it started like you know how things evolved like how creighton got where he got meeting the crew for the first time you know how they became this well-oiled team when i started watching because everything, everything when i started watching was on all cylinders like, everything was going there it was, it was the comedy it was the action they were f- you know friends they would die for each other you know all that so it was great to see how that all evolved because by the end of season one that's where we are i mean this is the template, as I said in the prior episodes, for what I remember about Farscape. The comedy, the action, the team building, the occasional I hate you, I, I like you, you know, <laughs> you know, you sold me out, you didn't, you know, whatever. Uh, so it was great to see how that built basically episode by episode throughout the whole season. Compared to some other TV series first seasons, this was, I think, pretty solid. You know, you can think of, you know, things like. The first season of Next Generation, which, I mean, obviously, everybody's going to watch it because it's Star Trek. But then they had to build all that camaraderie and all that stuff, too, like this. But I think this first season was better than TNG's first season, I think, in that respect. And I guess 22 episodes in, there really weren't that many bad ones. Or ones that we were like, this was just a pain to watch. There were a couple, like, you know, DNA Mad Scientist. But even in that, you got stuff that has built upon that and come back, like, multiple times. Like, you know, Aaron getting infused with palace DNA in that episode that was like the only thing we liked about that episode and that's come back like four or five times and and been critical to the plot. So it, it made those bad episodes worth watching and not just because we have to, because we're watching every episode for the podcast. Right.
1: Right. And you know, like I said, at the beginning of your analysis, I, I agree. Um, despite some rough spots uh, that I've harped on, there was a, lack of consistency with character development in the beginning and things like that, you know, you have to get that initial character camaraderie built, right? We have to, we have to get the trust. We have to get the back background. We have to get all this stuff and it takes writers time to settle into a world and it takes t- people's time to settle into a, uh, a role and all that kind of stuff. And I, I think we, we've, we've, sailed well past that and came up with a great season that like you said for a first season was really enjoyable in 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 this time time period I don't know that there's that many shows that I've enjoyed right off the bat that and usually the ones that I did got canceled so let's not harp on that too much yeah um (laughs) so uh but yeah it, it it they did great I think they found it a way to make it an enjoyable ride and I think that's what we were all after yeah, I mean, my, my entire life of watching
0: sci-fi and fantasy shows is like, oh, it's is fantastic. I love it. Oh, one season and gone? No. Or you know, half a season, and they cancel it. So, yeah, at least this made it and kept going. So it had time yeah, to it's...
1: breathe and grow and get better. And, yeah. Som- someday I'm going to start the podcast on uh, Drive, the uh, series that, uh, oh, what's his name, Mal Reynolds did after Firefly, that uh, made it three, four episodes before they canceled it and didn't even show the rest of them. Anyway. um. <laughs> yeah, I think I missed that one.
0: I'm thinking back to my old life, like, you know, Auto Man from the 80s, you know, that kind of stuff where, you know, I love that. It was, you know, they're, they're trying to rip off and it was great. It lasted like half a season and never saw it again. Yeah. You know? <laughs> wow. Okay. You got me beat. I didn't go that far back. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I can go on and on, you know, Street Force. Um, oh, I can't remember half the stuff that I used to watch that my parents were like, why are you watching this? Or my wife is like, you know, this is stupid. It's not going to last a season. Don't say that. It's great. And it's gone. And she's like, I told you. I'm like, no. <laughs> But, but, you know, that's the life of a sci-fi fan, right? Just, you know, network TV, you know, it's got to make the ratings and the money or it's out. And, you know, they have mentioned it, like the budget of these shows is a lot because it's all
1: effects and stuff. And,
0: you know, it's, you know, you, you run on the edge every every season, you know, so.
1: And, and to save a little bit of my cred there, Nathan Fillion was the actor I was looking for in that TV show. So anyway.
0: <laughs> so I guess quick rundown of some episodes. Um, I guess kind of like the, the low lights. If you want to call it that this season, we mentioned you know, DNA Mad Scientist. We, we both didn't really like that, although we liked the Aaron pilot part. That's about it. The Flax, not to be confused with this season of Doctor Who called The Flux, but the Flax, with the the space pirates and the, the ship that made no sense logically how it should work that the sky was on about, you know, and this is
1: a bad show. And not to be confused with Flux, the awesome card game.
0: Yeah, right. And then pretty much highlights, I mean, I, I probably could list it. Probably almost every other episode in the series but obviously you know premiere the first episode that's where it all started so that's a highlight you know get to see how it all began they've got a secret where we learn about dargra's family and his wife and son i think also how we got falsely in prison too like how that all that worked out and also that moya's pregnant that was a pretty major how often you see a ship that's pregnant right you know that was kind of cool then we got rhapsody in blue where we learn more about xan and her backstory her people you can't see where i'm going with this um (laughs) (laughs) durker returns you know the intro of chiana which I always thought she was part of the sh- crew from the beginning, and, but she wasn't until like halfway through the season. So that's kind of cool. And you know, lots of Rigel character development with him and Durka, his torturer for
1: hundred and some years. And, and that one also has a character that we're waiting on to return, right? Anyway, go ahead.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. So Durka, yeah, he might come back again. He knows. Durka returns, returns. Yeah. A healing reaction where wormhole aliens set up this like holodeck with Crichton, where he goes home, sort of. So it was like kind of like a good earth story of like what would happen if they came home. So that was cool. Lots of good character development. Because they were they were really there in the holodeck thing. Plus, we get to learn that the aliens know all about wormholes, so that, I'm sure they'll show up again later, maybe. <laughs> right. In, in, <laughs> another just... another dangling thread, right? So. Wait, this
1: show's about wormholes? No. Yeah. Worm right. <laughs> what?
0: And then we have obviously the last two before these these two episodes, Nerve and Hidden Memory, you know, their first two-parter, where we find you know see Scorpius for the first time. You know, and if you had watched all the previous episodes, there were tons of callbacks, like tons of characters we saw before. Scenes from things, mentionings. It was just like call back heaven, right? And and, and clips. Yeah, and, and, and a clip show that was a better than any other clip show that other shows Star Trek has done, except yeah,
1: for it, ex, we, ex,
0: ex, ex, except for the Menagerie Cage thing, which was you know probably the best way of using old footage. You know that was good, but you know or the, or the, the incomparable clip show.
1: It's it's that's good right.
0: Too. Yep, but no infinite clip loop on this one though, so that we know of
1: yet, 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 right?
0: And of course, finally, this episode we talked about family ties, the big cliffhanger finale. Of season one so plenty of more highlights and low lights of season one for sure anything else to add about anything you like particularly that i didn't mention
1: or that i pretty it, much covered it, all the good no ones? I, I i can't think of anything you didn't just say so <laughs> I, think I think i think we're in good shape you 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 did your homework and i applaud
0: okay thank you very much yeah, that's what wikipedia is for going through the episode list and going i remember anything about that right now. all right so next time because there will be a next time whether we watch it on amazon or somewhere else or if you're listening to this in the future, wherever it might be.
1: <laughs> so. Yeah, it, you may have to ship it from overseas at this point, but it's somewhere out there. I promise. Yeah.
0: Somewhere in the world is Farscape season two. So we're going to watch episode one, Mind the Baby, which is part two of this duology, I guess, of the season one finale. And episode two, Vitus or Vitus Mortis. I don't speak Latin, so it's either Vitus Mortis or Fetus Mortis. I don't know. Anyway. And I guess since we love playing our guessing game of I guess forty-five minutes of drama based off a couple words of an episode title, mind the baby. Well, that's probably about Talon because he disappeared last episode, and assuming he's not like uh, Emily and Stark and the Warhol aliens and Durka and whatever and, and, else, and the
1: burning the burning planet. Yeah, the burning planet. Or burning. <laughs> we'll
0: we'll see him again here sometime. And the fact that we have two of our characters hanging out. In the middle of space, but that's not really a baby. But you know.
1: yeah, yeah. On, on this one, I agree with you. Um, I think this is our big hanging thread, and yeah, uh, you know, other than keeping John and Dargo alive, you know, I think that's the big thing we've got to pick up from part one. Yeah, you know, they'll
0: grab them somehow. They'll get on Boyo They'll escape the asteroid field at some point. And I was going to say Crace will be chasing them, but no, Scorpius will be chasing them. That's probably where it's going.
1: But it's it's a train. You know, you've got Crace, and then they're chasing Crace, and Scorpius is chasing them, and yeah, yeah. anyway.
0: And then Vitus or Vitus Mortis, uh, which I translated from the Latin using Google, uh, came up with like Lives of Death. Cool title, not a clue. So I guess lives were hanging in the balance in season one finale, but this is the second episode and they this is in part three, so they probably resolved all those lives in Mind the Baby. So I have no idea what this one's going to be
1: about. We're, we're stuck on the hanging off a cliff at this point, you know, with that cliffhanger. So I, I've got no guesses where we'll be by the time we get all that resolved. It's just—it's too tough to jump between seasons without knowing what episode one of the season looks like. Yeah. Plus, sometimes
0: with seasons, you know, characters don't come back, like contractually or whatever happens, they just don't show up.
1: Not Wait, you—you you, you tell me, Crichton didn't come back? No. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's all over. Crichton's, Crichton doesn't show up anymore. He's, he, hes hes off with Stark and Emily. They're having an adventure somewhere else. And
1: did not see that coming. Yeah. And he'll show
0: up later for the season finale of you know season four. It's like, hey, I'm back. Hey, look, here's everybody
1: we left behind. Yeah. Is this when he went to go do the and came, or Stargate and then came? like anyway, no.
0: Yeah, right. <laughs> hey, look, I brought this big ring with me that it can transport us anywhere in the universe. It's great.
1: Well, that'd make the show quick, right? That's how we got home.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a wormhole too, the Stargate. So, hey, you know, it all, it all comes back together. Maybe the Stargate universe is part of the Farscape universe.
1: You don't know. You
0: know. Yeah, crossover in the works right there.
1: That's right it's been broader on both sides anyway
0: which i won't mention episode 200 of stargate Uh, if it's called 200 if you can watch it go see it they have a fun farscape kind of parody in that one which i won't spoil for anybody but it's really cool that's just me nerding out but anyway okay so so that's your homework season two episodes one and two find it where you can find it watch it where you can watch it and we'll talk about it next time see you later